Coming up, baseball now reigns supreme in the sports world as it's the last active sports standing as the trade deadline looms for teams seeking reinforcements for pennant races that'll take us through the summer. There have already been a few deals. How many more can we expect? The aftermath of the Bucks winning their first title in 50 years. Was Giannis Antetokounmpo's performance in Game 6 the best closeout game in finals history? The NHL expansion and entry draft has come and gone. I'll review what the Seattle Kraken look like as well as the rest of the 31 NHL teams. NFL training camps open up this week with some signings and news regarding possible forfeits under the latest COVID restrictions. I'm closing out the last week of July in typical rapid-fire, action-packed, sports talk fashion. I'll get to every single bit of it, but first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, So then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's well feeling fantastic and good spirits as the sun starts to set on yet another month almost seven down with five more to go has there ever been a faster year than 2021 i mean geez they all go fast but at the same time this one is just zooming right past us to the point where september is going to arrive in about five minutes then you'll have labor day Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, you get the point. But I don't want to go down that road of negativity, of just looking at time as uh, the angst or even the bane of our existence because 
as we all know, this is even more of a reason for us to enjoy these moments, to stay in the present, not wish time away, make the most out of living because we cannot get these precious seconds, minutes, hours, and days back. And in the process, let's also make the most out of this podcast as I have quite a bit to get into in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with us for now 206 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, July the 26th in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. The NHL completed their draft over the weekend, and in the process, the Seattle Kraken built their organization just last Wednesday. I'll review what took place off the ice this past week, including an Islander schedule that the league did absolutely zero favors for, and it has me fuming. I'll share my thoughts later on in the podcast. The Bucks have reached the NBA Summit as they took the Final Four games of the Finals in beating the Suns on Tuesday night, thrusting two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's now an NBA Finals MVP, with his legendary Game 6 performance. Was it the best closeout game in Finals history? I'll get into that, plus a look at the upcoming draft on Thursday. In the NFL, camps will open up throughout the country as early as today, with some players already showing up to training camp. There's been a couple of signings and some news regarding some quarterbacks that are not named Aaron Rodgers, thank God, but a one to Sean Watson, controversy in its own right. But also news to teams that could change the landscape across the league for those who don't comply with the latest COVID restrictions. Yes, COVID is rearing its ugly head again in this country, so I'll have to spend a couple of minutes on that. I'll also, I guess, have to spend a moment or two on the Olympics because I have not watched a nanosecond of it, but we know the basketball team now is in peril with the loss to France. You also had history being made as far as skateboarding is concerned. That's right, skateboarding in the Olympics. So I'll have that to touch on. A lot more, including... My hero and zero of the week. To think at this exact same time last year, we had a 60-game baseball season underway. A few days later, the NHL and NBA seasons had to pick up from where they left off. And as much as 2020 had thrown us off of our respective axes, we were ready and dying for sports as it jump-started a month-plus into that summer. Fast forward to today, with the NHL and NBA seasons completing over the past three weeks, The NFL season set the kickoff six weeks from this Thursday. Can you imagine? We have finally reached a point in the calendar where the sports dead zone part two has arrived. Thankfully, it won't be almost a two-month stretch that it normally is, but rest assured, yours truly will ensure that the dog days of summer will provide a lot of sports chatter for your earbuds and speakers as I'll take you through right through the start of the football season as things will start to pick up around that time. But in the meantime, baseball is the only sport standing as we could put our focus solely on what's taking place on the diamond. And with the trade deadline just five days away, you know things will heat up this week with tons of rumors, deals to carry us, as there has already been a few trades that I'll get into in a couple of minutes. But a few weeks ago, I talked about the pretenders and contenders right after the All-Star game and wondering which teams, as we tried to take a whole look at the MLB landscape, where it seemed very top-heavy. Yes, you had a couple teams that were laying in the weeds there that were kind of on the outside looking in, whether you're the Seattle Mariners, the Toronto Blue Jays, the New York Yankees there, I say, even the Cincinnati Reds, teams that were hovering anywhere near the wild card or even the division as far as them maybe possibly making a move to procure players to make a run at this thing. Because as we all know, once you get to October, it becomes a crapshoot. 
And with some teams already jockeying for position and already wheeling and dealing so far as we're just five days away, I say 4 p.m. on Saturday, which the deadline will conclude. The Tampa Bay Rays were the first team out of the gate as they traded for slugger Nelson Cruz from the Minnesota Twins. He's a guy that's going to lengthen that lineup and add a little bit of fear on top of that because the Ray offense, although they're able to produce and although they have some good bats, but they don't have the one guy in the lineup that you absolutely fear. Because you can look at an Austin Meadows or Randy Rosarena or the Joey Wendells or the Brandon Lows of the world and say, all right, they're professional hitters. Yes, can they hit a home run? Yes, can they make a or have a clutch at bat or had that experience to where, yes, they've been in the postseason the last couple of years, but by bringing in a guy like Nelson Cruz is going to make that lineup formidable. And a guy that you could just plug in there, he'll be your DH, and hopefully between now and the end of October for the Ray fan, that he'll be able to rake and possibly bring another title to Tampa to go along with the Buccaneers and the back-to-back Stanley Cup champion winning Tampa Bay Lightning. Then the Mets made a deal with the Tampa Bay Rays, So not only were they buying, but they were also selling to where the Mets needed starting pitching in the worst way. Jacob DeGrom, although his last outing was positive, but we don't know what the long-term effect is going to be considering he's had all these little injuries with the forearm stiffness and a lot of other issues with the oblique and his ribcage, especially from batting. But they bring in Rich Hill, the lefty who's bounced around quite a bit over the last few years, Cubs, Dodgers, now Rays. And he gave them a little bit of a lift yesterday. Did not pitch great, but was able to keep his team in the game. Mets got a big hit there from not only just Pete Alonso, who's been raking left and right, but also Jeff McNeil with that double to tie the game. And the Mets went on to prevail to win two out of three over Toronto. So by bringing in Rich Hill, a veteran guy who has been around the postseason and will also bring a little bit more depth once we get some health back. Carlos Carrasco is a guy that may be in the not-so-distant future as far as finally getting a chance to pitch on the mound. Noah Syndergaard's not going to come back until possibly September. And who knows, with Taiwan Walker now stubbing his toe a little bit, not pitching as well recently since before his All-Star appearance, and even though Marcus Stroman pitched well in Cincinnati to the tune of eight innings with one-hit ball. So the Mets went out, and they may even be buyers for a few other players, which I'll get into in a minute. And then the Padres, who are trying to do their best to keep themselves in the race in the NL West, which they are, but they're falling further behind the Dodgers and the Giants in the division. I'm sure they would like to get to at least maybe second place because if it falls to where they get to second place in the NL West, they may host a wildcard game in all likelihood against the Dodgers with the way things are breaking down in the National League. So they go out and they bring in an all-star and Adam Frazier from the Pirates. And who knows what that could lead to as far as pitching because they're also looking for pitching. And possibly maybe Craig Kimbrell going back to San Diego as far as a closer's concern, which has been part of the rumors. And that's what it's going to be all week when it comes to these teams looking to secure key positions, whether it's at first base, outfield, starting pitching, Obviously, the back of the bullpen or even just the middle reliever. Because the names that are being thrown out there are a lot of the big names who are going to be free agents after the year. And a lot of those guys play the same position. So whether your name is Trevor Story in Colorado, Javier Baez for the Chicago Cubs, 
Chris Bryant, his teammate right next door at third base. And a lot of those guys have actually been rumored to possibly come to the Mets because of the health and concern of Francisco Lindor. Who knows with that oblique, as I said last week, even though he's on the 10-day IL, but we all know that could be a two-month injury. And who knows, maybe even beyond. So by them possibly bringing in a Baez, I know Trevor Story, who also plays shortstop, who knows what the Mets will be able to give up there. They do have a young stud in the minor leagues by the name of Ronnie Mauricio. I'm sure they don't want to have to part with him considering they're only renting these guys because you know that they're not going to re-sign these guys long-term knowing that you have Lindor, who's going to be the mainstay for the next 10 years at $341 million. So if you're a Mets fan like myself, I'm not going to bring in a guy like Story or Baez. Maybe Chris Bryant. Depends on the price. They're not going to ask for the sun, moon, and stars, although they're going to do that. But I would think that Steve Cohen and company are not going to look at bringing in a rental by mortgaging your future just for the sake of this year. Now, yes, we know that this is a league and a sport that year by year you have to seize the moment. But the Mets, they have to look at this over the course of the next few years. So if you're going to give up that young stud that's in the minor leagues or even the third baseman, that they drafted a couple of years ago and Brett Beatty, who could possibly be a mainstay at the corner position for years to come. Obviously with David Wright long gone and not having a replacement there, he would be your guy. But do you send him to Chicago for Chris Bryant as well? To me, I wouldn't do that. So you have those guys that are going to be part of the mix here over the course of the next week. You wonder about other teams, as I said a couple weeks ago, with the Yankees and what happened in Fenway over the weekend. And now that they're nine back, eight in a loss behind the Red Sox, are they going to be sellers here? Now, they go to Tampa for three games, which could pretty much determine their season. Because if Tampa wins two out of three at least, and heaven forbid for the Yankee fan, if they were to get swept, you would think Brian Cashman's going to be on the phone to try to pawn off some of these players. Now, the thing is... He hasn't been trigger happy or I'll say gun shy and wanting to let go of some of the players that he traded for years ago. Whether your name is Clint Frazier, Gleyber Torres in particular. I also mentioned Gary Sanchez going back a couple of years. You could check the receipts. He's a guy that I would certainly put on the block. And another guy that you could possibly question. And I understand that this is... Bite your tongue, Jay Reels. How dare you even bring this guy's name up? But at 29 years of age, and although he's been healthy throughout the year, but to pay $200 million at least for a guy who's going to be in his 30s when he signs that deal, would you think about trading Aaron Judge for the right package? So that means you bring back younger players, starting pitching in particular, because as we all know, the Yankees starting pitching right now is in shambles. And yes, I know Jameson Tyon has pitched pretty good here. And Domingo Herman, even with his no-hit bid going into the eighth inning, he hasn't really been lights out here in 2021. So not to say that Judge is going to be part of this rumor mill or even Torres for that matter. But if you're Brian Cashman, you have to do something. You just can't get a guy who's going to be a three or four starter or a guy that has potential to pan out here, whether it's an outfielder, a center fielder in particular, or even somebody to play first base because Luke Voigt's been hurt. I know Anthony Rizzo is another guy, and the Cubs, they're going to be for sure 
a fire sale, you would think, on the north side of the Windy City. But Rizzo, is he a guy that's going to come to the Bronx to maybe salvage this Yankee season? That left-handed bat that they desperately need to play first base? Who knows? But again, if you're going to get Rizzo to come here, and he's another guy that's going to be a free agent, who are the Yankees going to give up in the process? And the only reason why I bring up Aaron Judge for the Yankee fan who has either fallen out of their chair or shut off the podcast thinking, Jay Reels, you're nuts. They had this 18-year-old stud in the minors. Granted, he's in low A named Jason Dominguez, who is a beast from everything that I've read. And granted, he's still three years down the road. But remember, you already have Giancarlo, who's going to be your DH here until kingdom come. And with Aaron Hicks, remember him? Still on the books for five years and about $55 million. And of course, with Judge getting a little bit later there in his career as he's approaching 30 and not wanting to pay him in upwards of $200 million, and that's probably the starting point, they do have this young guy in the minors that they could hopefully bank on and be that guy who could be the face of this organization for the mid-2020s and on. So that's something that I'm sure Cashman is considering or even thinking about even though he's still a few years away. But the Yankees just can't stand Pat here. So if they're going to buy, all right, that's one thing. I can understand that. But we know Hal Steinbrenner is not like his dad where he's just going to bring on every superstar or every available player onto his team to try to push for the playoffs and push for a World Series title. Uh Uh-uh. This isn't your father's Yankee team from years past. So you would think that they're going to be very conservative. Yeah, they'll probably tweak here and there to bring somebody some sort of reinforcement, whether it's to their pitching staff or to their everyday lineup, but I don't think the Yankees are going to do anything big. That's why I say they should be sellers and to all those aforementioned players that I stated. And you want to even throw in a role as Chapman? Why not? Throw him in the mix as well. But if I was Brian Cashman, I would certainly entertain and field any offer for any of these young players, including Gleyber Torres too. And that's another name that I'm sure Yankee fans will look at me and say, Jay Reels, you're crazy, but... Considering he moved over to shortstop last year and granted 60 games, okay, that's a small sample size. I'm not going to get crazy about it. But this year, you've seen the numbers. I don't have to tell you how he has just gone backwards. And I don't know if it's because of the pressure of playing shortstop as opposed to second base all those years. And with DJ LeMahieu locked in for another five after this year, it's not as if he's going to transition back to second base anytime soon. So... I get it, he's a young asset, and I get it that when he's right, he is an MVP caliber type of player. But, because he still has years left, and because you could get possibly a stud pitcher, or maybe even that stud left-handed bat from a team, take your pick, why not throw him in a deal if you could get back what you certainly need, especially playing in that type of ballpark where left-handed hitters will just salivate at that short porch in right field. So that's the reason why I bring up these names, especially if you're the Yankees. But five days, we'll see how that goes between now and then. Now, you also have another name. You talk about teams that are out of it. The one name that's bubbling and percolating throughout the sport is Max Scherzer, who is going to be a free agent after this year. The Nationals are slowly but surely starting to fade away the NL East. So he's a guy that's going to be very intriguing for a team, even the Yankees for that matter, if they want to make a push to get the three-time Cy Young Award winner and even the Mets. I read a report this morning that the Mets may be kicking the tires 
on bringing in Max Scherzer. Now, will they trade in the division? That remains to be seen. I know it's a little bit risky because obviously you don't want to have to give up any of your farm system for a guy who is a rental and especially in a division where that player could beat your brains in over the next decade. So I don't even want any part of that. But is it out of the realm of possibility? <laughs> in sports, and baseball, you just never know. But Scherzer and even bringing in a guy like Rich Hill, like I mentioned, it's nice. I think Scherzer may be a little bit too rich for the Mets' blood only because they're going to have to give up a lot for him even if it is for only two months. So even the guys on the teams that are out of it, so Pittsburgh is another team, Tyler Anderson's name's been thrown around, and when you look throughout the sport, it's going to be interesting what names are going to pop up here between now and 4 p.m. on Saturday. And, of course, you want to follow me on any of my social media accounts, Instagram and Twitter, you could certainly do so to keep you abreast of what it is I have to say about these deals because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of them and you wonder with these teams as I mentioned before whether you're the Seattle Mariners of the world who had a very good weekend and now are looking to even inch closer to the second place team in the division which is the Oakland A's and we'll get to the wild card scenarios where Seattle has to be a player in it right now because we're approaching August and even though you look at them as a team that maybe in the years to come will be on the rise well, the time is now. And just as I said at the very top, when we talk about staying and living in the present and not wishing time or not letting time pass or worry about that, right this moment, the Mariners could do something. Now, I understand they're not going to do anything to disrupt the organization by making major trades or major moves or trading off some key pieces to their organization, but they would have to be in this. Why not? I mean, you're in business to win. You're not in business just to kind of stay afloat or, oh, well, we've arrived a little bit sooner, but we'll probably be better next year or in 2023, that's going to be our year. No, if you have a shot now, go for it. But historically, those teams don't really make those type of leaps if you're not the LA Dodgers, if you're not the New York Yankees, if you're not even the New York Mets, I'll throw them in the mix, the Boston Red Sox, even the Philadelphia Phillies, you could go on down the list, the big market teams. So you know my fingerprints will be all over this here throughout the course of the week. Again, follow me, J Reels Instagram or the J Reels Podcast on Instagram. J Reels one, just the number on Twitter for updates and assessments of any and every deal that goes down, especially the key deals. If they're minor league deals, whatever, you know, I'm not going to get crazy. So now we have a bunch of other different stories that are happening throughout baseball where players are either on the IL and key players at that and key players that are returning which is kind of like having a trade right before the deadline and the first person that comes to mind or player is Eloy Jimenez if you remember during the end of spring training while he tried to leap for a ball over the wall tore his pec muscle to where he was originally supposed to be out five to six months well guess what he's going to be off the IL today and could possibly make an impact in the lineup as early as this week. So a guy that you didn't think you were probably going to have the whole year, let alone up until September, he's actually arrived early, and that is a big boost to a White Sox team who is off and running in the AL Central with a nine-game lead over the Indians right now. And on the flip side of that, you have the Dodgers, who have been in and out, up and down, hot and cold, just when they thought they were coming out of a good stretch, They lose three out of four to the Giants. My apologies for not even bringing up that series last week. So where the Giants have pretty much kept themselves not only afloat, 
but put themselves in a decent position where the Giants and their fiercest rivals down the interstate weren't able to draw even or even get past them in the division. And with Mookie Betts now being sidelined with hip inflammation, and Betts hasn't had a great year for whatever reason. He certainly hasn't been anything close to his MVP status of the last few years. But the Dodgers, you would think, would be fine. They'll be all right. I'm sure they're going to do something throughout the course of this week. Who they're going to bring in obviously remains to be seen. But with Betts being out of the lineup here for at least 10 days, certainly doesn't bode well for the Dodgers. And we'll see how that uh, pans out over the course of not only just this week, but in the weeks to come with him getting back in the lineup and being anything close to his MVP self. And then also you had a situation talking about the White Sox a minute ago with Eloy Jimenez. His teammate, Yermin Mercedes, had a one-day, I don't want to say retirement, but stepped away from baseball and then back in a 24-hour period decided that, hey, all the hard work of the last 10 years, being in the minor leagues, I didn't want to give it up, I'm pursuing a dream, so on and so forth. All right, Yermin, we'll give you a pass on this, but the eyebrows are already raised as far as your trust level and your trustworthiness to think that, who knows, if you're having a bad day, he may be ready to call it a career after a week or even after one game for all we know. And Mercedes got off to that tremendous start of his career earlier on the year and part of the controversy hitting that grand slam. I think they were up, what, 12 to three in the ninth inning and he hit a grand slam. He overlooked a call, a 3-0 take sign by the White Sox third base coach and decided just to swing for the fences and sure enough, he did. But Mercedes... Let's see what uh, happens with him here over the course of the remainder of the season. And I mentioned Cleveland earlier too. They finally have received their new name. And I thought maybe they would stick with the Spiders going back to their franchise prior to when they were named the Indians. But starting next year, they're going to be called the Cleveland Guardians. And I know it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Not like Cleveland Spiders, or even Indians for that matter. And we understand in the climate, in the world, day and age that we live in. To me, it was right for them to do that. And for them to change their name to Guardians. Reminded me of the defunct XFL team, the New York Guardians of just a year plus ago. But Cleveland Guardians, obviously, just like anything else, going to take getting some used to. The Indians have been around forever, as we all know. It's not like back in the day, the Washington Bullets to the Wizards, it seemed like that was a seamless transition. And again, the Bullets have only been around but for so long during the early stages of that NBA. Now, granted, that was in the 90s when they made the name change, but the Indians have been around a lot longer, a lot more history. So now they're going to be the Guardians starting next year. So, hey, we're going to have to readjust and recalibrate our thought process when it comes to the baseball team. And it also makes you wonder... What the hell happened with the Washington football team that they couldn't come up with a name this year considering that they're punting 2021 and they're going to come up with a moniker for 2022? Come on, guys. It's not rocket science here. I understand they didn't want to go with the Washington Warriors, but you could have gone, as I mentioned, the Washington Senators or keep it somewhere. And I guess that could be even controversial too considering the politics and the state of this country when it comes to that. But even if you wanted to make it a situation where even you want to call the Washington Monuments, who knows? Uh, anything but the former name, and we all know what that is, but the football team is going to take another year to figure out what their nickname is going to be, which obviously that's on them. So Now let me get through baseball here real quick with both the 
races in particular with the wild card because we've talked about it from time over the last four to six weeks where the divisions pretty much are going to be the NL East, the NL West, the AL East, and right now the AL West is a little bit of separation because both centrals right now, you would think Milwaukee Brewers in the NL and as I mentioned the White Sox in the AL, they should cruise to division championships. So I'll go backwards since most of the attention is on the divisions. I'll get into the wild card first where right now in the American League, the Seattle Mariners are just a game and a half behind the Oakland A's and one game in the loss to where the Tampa Bay Rays have the first wild card and they're four and a half games ahead of the Oakland Athletics. So as I said before, will the Mariners make a move or two here to see if they can push themselves into the mix of the wild card to possibly keep them in the second or maybe even try to go for a division. I understand there's seven games behind the Astros as of right now, but not knowing how many games are left between the Mariners and Astros, you would think that the Mariners will do something here to kind of keep them in the middle of this pennant race from now through September. After that, you have the Yankees who are just three and a half back of the second wild card, Toronto four, Cleveland five, even the Angels where Shohei Otani is continuing to mash. He hit his 35th home run over the weekend. So you have those teams and then everybody else you can forget about from the Tigers on down because the Tigers are nine out. Which one of those teams are going to make a move here? We talked about the Yankee scenario. Will the Blue Jays even think about maybe bringing a player or two to see if they could make a push here in the wild card? Maybe even for the division. I know the division may be out of reach right now as they're eight and a half back, but we know how baseball works sometimes. You can have an eight game lead with 30 to go, and the next thing you know, you're two games back heading into the final weekend of the season. So that's what we have there in the American League as far as the wild card goes. And in the National League, it's a little bit more cut and dry where the Dodgers and Padres, as I mentioned, have the top two spots. The Dodgers have a three and a half game lead over the Padres, and then the Padres have a five and a half game lead over the Reds. So the NL wild card is not necessarily over, but if the Reds aren't going to do anything, if the Cardinals aren't going to do anything as far as make any trades or stand pat and the same for the Phillies because they're also seven back and then you have the Cubs and Braves at eight back and then Washington on down they're in double digits you may not have a lot here in this pennant chase come August into September unless one of these teams come back to the pack and a lot of the bottom feeders start to creep their way up the standings Because as I mentioned with the divisions right now, the American League with the Red Sox and the Rays, as I pull up the overall standings, the Red Sox, even with their three out of four over the Yankees this past weekend, they're one game ahead of the Rays at 61 and 39. They have 62 games left. Same for the Rays, 60 and 40. Then you have the White Sox with the nine game lead, as I mentioned, eight in the loss over the Indians, and then the Astros, six in the loss, five and a half ahead of the A's, seven over the Mariners. And then your only races in the National League, as I mentioned, in the East, the Mets are five in the loss over the Phillies and four ahead in the division. They do have the Braves coming in for five games, including a doubleheader starting today. So they could really put the Braves 
out of their misery as far as the division goes with at least three victories here. But if they win four out of five, that would be tremendous. Now again, no Jacob DeGrom. We don't know when he's going to return. So this is going to be piecemealed with a starting rotation. Even with guys like Tyler McGill, who's pitched very well here. Taiwan Walker, as we mentioned, hopefully he could bounce back over his last couple of starts, which have been bad. And Stroman, who I believe is going to pitch game one today. Let's see if he could have a, another effort like he did in Cincinnati on Wednesday. But that's what you're going to have in the National League because if the Braves hang around and the Phillies hang around, and even though the Nats are eight back, but who knows what the Scherzer scenario, they, to me, both Philly and Atlanta are still within reach of a division with the Mets, and obviously they haven't run away with it despite them being in first place since the early part of May. And then out west, like I mentioned about the Giants, two games ahead of them but three in the loss, and then the Padres, five and a half back, actually seven in the loss there. And that's what you pretty much have at this point with Major League Baseball. So unless some of these teams, whether it is Seattle, even the Reds for that matter, as I mentioned at the top, Toronto, the Yankees, maybe even Cleveland, if those teams don't have a run in them, and I'm talking about winning 15 of 20 to where teams in the division or in the wild card start to fall back, this could be a very much of a snooze fest of a pennant race here over the last two months of the season. Let's hope that's not the case because in this sports dead zone as we're waiting for college football and football to arrive, which is still down the road, and I know we have an NBA draft and some free agents that it's not a list to write home about, and the Olympics, which I'll get to later, there isn't anything to really do a deep dive when it comes to sports here between now and September. So if baseball is not going to hold up their end of the bargain, we could be in for a long Hot dog days of summer. And let's hope it's long because I am not ready to let go of summer for those who listen to the podcast and know that me being a summer guy and not really looking forward to a football season until they're ready to kick off. Yes, let's just hope that it's long, but also very exciting in the process. And let's see if baseball does hold up their end. All right, now let's recap a game six of the NBA Finals. I know it's six days ago and not to... Go crazy about it because they've already had the parade in Milwaukee and now we can look forward to a draft on Thursday and I guess the free agent period will probably be August 1st, if I have to say, just a few days after the draft. But when we talked last week about the potential legendary statuses of Giannis Antetokounmpo and or Chris Paul of having these legacy type games, Paul to get his team pulled out of the fire in a game six to bring the series back to Phoenix to where they're going to need not only his leadership, but also to have that killer mentality that he had in game six of the Western Conference Finals against the Clippers. And when he scored all those five for five from three, he scored what, 41 points, whatever it was to close out the clips. And then remember game one where he had a monster game to start off the NBA Finals. And pretty much since then, wasn't really good. I mean, he had some good games and had a good game six. Not a great game six, but that game four is going to be the one to haunt, which I'll get to in a minute. But Giannis, knowing that he had this game in his building, as I said, not wanting to take that flight back for a game seven in Phoenix. And with him being the focal point of this team, knowing that once they drafted him back in 2013, him staying there, signing the Supermax before last year. And think about this. Could you imagine if Giannis did not sign that Supermax 
and was able to win a championship right now that he would be the story of the summer, even more so than baseball. Because it would have been a scenario where does he stay in Milwaukee after winning a championship or can he say, I've washed my hands, I've done my job, now let me go on to bigger and possibly greener pastures when it comes to not only going to a city that he wants or to play on a team wherever it is that he wants to go or whichever team can afford him. And right off the rest of his career, as a guy who finally brought a title to Milwaukee but now could go on to maybe win another title in another city, well, you don't have to worry about that. Obviously, everything I said is moot, which makes the story of the Bucks that much better because when you have a guy who was drafted by the original team, a team that's in the Midwest in a cold city that before this year hasn't sniffed anything close to the finals since 1974. And although they came close in 2019, they were two wins away from going to a final. And then in 2001, where they went to a game seven in the conference finals against the Sixers, but came up short. That's the Glenn Robinson, Ray Allen, Buck team. And for the Buck fans to finally relish not only in their superstar player, knowing that he's going to be part of this team for the next five years, but to cap it off with a world championship, does it get any better for a city, a fan base, and for a franchise than the Milwaukee Bucks? You have to be happy for them and for him, Giannis for that matter, for everything he's gone through the last two years, winning those two regular season MVPs, not only that being knocked out of the playoffs the last two years, Even early in the postseason where Kevin Durant says, don't compare me to that guy, meaning Giannis. And Giannis is a guy that he, I don't want to say he's a loner, but he is not your typical NBA superstar from the status of being that diva, being that guy that wants all the attention, being that guy that's going to dictate maybe the fate of a coach or try to be a pseudo GM Obviously, he wanted to have the talent around him to win a title as he tweeted several years ago that he wants to be a part of this Buck team and win a title. One of the rare tweets that actually ages very well. You just have to go back in the archives or maybe Google it to see for yourself. But for Giannis to put up that 50-point, 14-rebound performance in which he literally carried the entire team on his back. Yes, he did get contributions from Brooke Lopez, a major contribution from Bobby Portis, Drew Holiday did absolutely nothing in the game offensively. Chris Middleton got into foul trouble early and made two big shots in the fourth quarter. Other than that, he did nothing in the game. But for Giannis to score 50 of the 105 points, made 17 of 19 free throws in the process. And when you talk about legacy games, this is one for the ages. To the point where you have to ask yourself, is this the best closeout game in an NBA Finals that we've ever seen? Now, the one you could argue, especially over the last 20-some-odd years, and you know a one Michael Jeffrey Jordan is going to say, I took that personally, his 45-point game, game six, 1998, the shot over Brian Russell, as we all know, iconic, where they won 87-86, and he scored 45 of the 87 points. Remember, that was the bad back, Scottie Pippen. He couldn't contribute at all. Tony Kukoc did give you, I believe, 13 points of the game, but nobody else was helping out Jordan to a sixth NBA final victory in eight years during that time. You could also go back to Tim Duncan's closeout game six at home against the Nets where he almost had a quadruple double, 
21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, 8 blocks. The game was at home and we knew the Nets were going to lose, but that was still a monster performance. And remember, Jordan did his game on the road. So you have to take that into consideration. Another big game, especially in a 50-point closeout game in the finals, was Bob Pettit going back to the 1958 finals where they beat the Celtics in six games where he had 50 and 19. I was going to say 50 and 17. 50 points, 19 rebounds. Bob Pettit for the St. Louis Hawks at that time. And I have to say, this game, I get the Jordan game and I watched that from start to finish. And that was phenomenal to say the least to cap off that dynasty. But this one, to me, I think meant more because we've seen Jordan win and Jordan accomplish so much over that time frame, six to eight years, as I mentioned, where they won all those titles, where Milwaukee had not won a title, that this was, I'm not going to say a pressure game because the game was at home and had a 3-2 lead, but knowing that they didn't want it to go back to Phoenix and roll the dice in a game seven, that Giannis did anything and everything it took out of his body to will that team to victory and for him to get hacked the way he did and to go ahead and score 50 points and all those free throws that he converted on, I'd have to say, and I know he's not listening, but if this somehow, someway got to Michael Jordan, I'm sure he would throw a lot of barbs at me. But I have to say, that was the finest closeout game that I've ever seen. And I get it's Michael Jordan. I understand. You're talking NBA immortality. But they had already won five titles. And Jordan's legacy was already cemented. And yes, that was the cherry on top with the swish there at the elbow in the final seconds in Utah. Game 698 finals. And he had no help in that game. Again, he scored 45 to 87 points. So he scored more than half of the points of his team than Giannis did for his team. But because the weight of the world in that city... Everything that they've endured over the last two years. And granted, yes, it wasn't complete heartbreak. It wasn't as if they blew 3-0 series leads. They blew a 2-0 series lead to Toronto. But it wasn't as if there was this languish and just curse of so many painful playoff losses over the years throughout the team and franchise's history that they finally made it. But in this era of Giannis, and especially with what he accomplished during the regular season the past two years, for him to have that type of performance on that stage, in that game, it's the best I've seen. That's all there is to it. And the toughness, the grit, and experience of those two-plus past postseasons, as I mentioned, even in the last couple of podcasts, it came into play. And that's why they're champions. They didn't panic. They did not play tight. And they easily could have played tight and could have played hot potato with the ball, where Chris Middleton made those two Big shots at the end, closing out the fourth quarter. Or even Drew Holiday playing that lockdown defense on Devin Booker. It was as gutty as an effort of a game seven that you're going to see. Or excuse me, a game six. And it actually reminded me of the Chiefs a little bit because if you remember in the NFL, they won Super Bowl four and it took them 50 years to win their next title. Well, here it is, the Bucks, 71, 2021, 50 years between titles. And that's what you have there with the Bucks. What could you say? Hats off to them. Congratulations. The flip side of that, obviously not good if you're a Suns fan. And game four is going to stick with you all summer, into the fall, into next year, and until you possibly win a championship. Because 
That was a bitter pill that game four. Chris Paul was terrible in the game. I know Devin Booker put up some big numbers there in game four. Game five didn't shoot well. And in game six, he was just terrible. He had four points at the half. Did not make shots there in the fourth quarter. I believe it was two for seven. He wasn't able to execute. And I hate to say it, this doesn't define Chris Paul this game six. He did have, what did he have? 25 points, six assists. He did chip in. He played very good, but he wasn't great. He didn't pull what Giannis pulled to bring his team out of the fire and back to Phoenix for a game seven. And the great legacy performing type of games that we are accustomed to seeing from superstars and we could go on down the list, we didn't get that from Chris Paul. And that's not a knock, it's just fact. And you have to throw that in the mix, not necessarily game six, but game four and the Suns not winning the title with all the others dating back to his days with New Orleans, Houston, I won't say OKC, I'm not going to count that, and even the Los Angeles Clippers. And it's just not a knock. I mean, people could look at me and say, what are you, nuts? How could you knock Chris Paul? How could you even throw some shade or be spicy when it comes to him? I'm just going by the back of his basketball card, people. I got nothing against the guy. We know he's a Hall of Famer. We know he's going in first ballot, etc. And maybe he's a little bit too revered throughout the league. And I know that he's the player president of the association and a guy that everybody's going to look to. The Wiley veteran, the guy who has obviously led the charge here for the players over the last few years when it comes to their union. But at the same time, you have to think about what he's done on the court and how he hasn't been able to get that brass ring. Yes, he finally made it to the finals this year. You could celebrate it. All right, 16 years. But when people look at this 2021 NBA finals, they're going to see, all right, what was the game that they needed? And did Chris Paul deliver? Game four. Because if they win game four, they probably win the series. Now, we don't know how it's going to play out, of course, because can Milwaukee win the last three? We saw them win the last four. But at the same time, they would have been in prime position. And they would have had the same mentality that the Bucks did, knowing that, oh, we don't want to have to go back to Phoenix for a game seven. If they were up three games to one, going into a game five at home, you think they want to get on a plane to go back to Milwaukee? And does it all fall on the feet or the Nikes of a one Chris Paul? It doesn't. But because he was the guy that was brought there and for everything that had happened throughout the course of the regular season, and as I said, time after time, hand raised high, I was not a believer in the Suns team. Everybody thought that this was a trendy team, a team to look out for, maybe even a dark horse. And look, they made it to an NBA final. But when you get to this lofty status, when you get to this stage and your best player doesn't deliver in key spots, he's going to have to take some blame. Same for Devin Booker. I understand he's a young player and I love it how he came out and said, don't compare me to Kobe. And I know Mark Jackson in the broadcast Always mentioned, oh, Kobe Bryant, be legendary. Yes, he had some very good games in this NBA final and obviously had a postseason to remember. Most points ever in the first go-around of a postseason career, but he failed also in a game six. And granted, he's a young player. He's going to learn from this, you would think. But he's another one that's going to take a hit here. And DeAndre Ayton, I hate to say it, not that you were expecting a ton, even after that game one, where he had a great performance there, 20 boards, 17 rebounds, whatever it was, he had a high number of rebounds. But here in this 
Game number six was nowhere offensively, and Giannis just had his way with him. Let's call it as we see it. Giannis just abused him. And Aiton was in a bunch of fouls. And I know he's a young player, and you would think he'd be in the gym right now. Learning some post-up moves, getting his jumper, maybe even getting a little bit bigger in the gym. He's only 22 years old. He's a man-child. But this is also going to fall on his resume as well when we look at the history of this series. And I don't know if the Suns, and the same for the Bucks for that matter, but we can't worry about the Bucks because they got their title. But will the Suns be anywhere close in this position come next year? We have to see how the summer plays out with a lot of the transactions, free agents, trades, etc. But I can't see it. You know the Lakers are going to be back. Who knows what Kawhi, if he's going to stay there with the Clippers. But if he's there, they have to be thrown in the mix. Denver, Jamal Murray, when he gets back, another team. Utah. I would say Portland, but who knows? We may have Damian uh, Lillard go to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. So a lot of time between now and then to even think about the Suns being back here. But if you ask me at the very moment, right now, I don't think so. And also give it up to Monty Williams going into the Bucks locker room and congratulating them. I mean, the guy's class all around. I don't want to hear from people saying, oh, what are you doing, Monty Williams? You should be upset. You should be throwing things. That's not his demeanor, first and foremost, if you know the guy. And with everything that has happened in his life and talk about a guy living in the moment. He figured, hey, we got beat by a better team. Let me go in there and congratulate them because obviously on the court, there's chaos, confetti, people running around. You can't really have a full congratulatory speech or to show respect to the other team so by him doing that I had no problem with that in fact that also raised a couple of notches in my respect meter for the Suns coach Monty Williams so kudos to him for that and now we have the draft I'm not even going to get into the free agent stuff because there isn't really anything to discuss right now maybe next week I'll get into a little bit but there isn't a list of names unlike years past where you had the Jimmy Butlers the Kyrie Irvings the Kawhi Leonard's, the Paul George's, the Kevin Durant's that were on the list where you had to say, whoa, what's going to happen here and where are these players going? You don't have that type of list this go around. But as far as the draft goes, a lot of the talk's going to be pretty much these top four picks. Whether your name is Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, you would think the Pistons are going to draft him. I know a hot name out there is Jalen Green, that G League player that who knows, maybe even the Pistons may take because he is a high-flying scorer. I've never seen the guy play, but just based on the stuff that I've read, that could be a very interesting scenario. Do you go with the guy that had the one year in college and was pretty much named one of the top players in the country? Or do you go with a wild card, a guy that could supersede him maybe in the long term, but for you take the safe route and go with Cunningham if you're the Pistons? That's going to be fascinating because the Rockets have the number two pick and you would think that Green is going to be on their radar to choose him to pretty much take over the reins for the departed James Harden last year. You also have Jalen Suggs, the kid from Gonzaga who had the big shot there at the end with UCLA, most famously known for. And we'll see if Suggs will go there. Cleveland may be looking to trade that pick to Orlando. That's also been one of the rumors that have been Going on here over the last 48 hours or so. Evan Mobley, the center from USC. A lot of people think that he can make an impact. Who knows if Toronto's going to pick him at number four. And then after that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. But once 
Thursday night comes, and I guess they're going to do this remotely, just like the NHL did here with their draft over the weekend. We'll dissect it all and see where it all unfolds and shakes down. And generally, I'm into the NBA draft. I know the last two years has been hard, considering we had the pandemic last year, and the draft was pushed pretty much to the end of October. And this go-around, even though we had a college season, but not really following it and going in full bore, Of course, I know some of these top players that I mentioned, but not really familiar with Jalen Green or any player overseas or some of these other G League guys that have come up the ranks. So, I mean, what could you say? As I said a week or so ago, you can only follow but so much or be on top of so many different things. And the draft right now was well down my radar. I'll do a lot of research over the next few days. Next week, we'll recap it and get into it. And away we go. So that pretty much wraps up our NBA and basketball. And speaking of drafts, the NHL had theirs, as I just brought up a second or two ago. But first, we'll go through the a little bit of the expansion draft. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, people, because just like with the NBA stuff, the NHL, it's not as if I'm dissecting these players and where they're going to go. And yes, I know who a couple of the top players were. And you had three come from the same school, and I'll get to that in a minute, but the Kraken chose their roster as of last Wednesday, and the big surprise for a lot of people was that they didn't select Carey Price, who was left unprotected by the Canadians, and the VP of Hockey Ops of Seattle, Ron Francis, mulled it over, thought about it long and hard, but decided to go in a different direction to where he drafted Vitek Vanacek from the Capitals and then Chris Drager or Drager, how do you pronounce that? Drager from the Florida Panthers. And I'm sure they're probably going to wheel and deal here, you would think, over the course of these next couple of weeks, as a lot of the talk with these free agents. And there has been some movement here. I know Pavel Buznevich for the Ranger fan, they were, I'm not going to say go as far as saying upset, but they were certainly puzzled as to why he was traded a good young player that had been on the Rangers for the last couple of years. And going back to the Kraken, the notables were Yanni Gord, the forward from the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jordan Eberle, also from the Islanders, Mark Giordano, the captain of the Calgary Flames. Those are the three guys that I know that are of big ilk and, of course, have been paid big bucks. You had a bunch of other players fill out the rest of the roster, Brandon, the Brandon Tanevs of the world from Pittsburgh and... You know, guys like that, you just have to fill a roster with. Now, are they going to come anywhere close to the previous expansion team of the Vegas Golden Knights where they made it to a Stanley Cup final? I can't say they will. I don't know if they're going to capture the hockey world in that regard. If it's going to be anything close to that, it's good for not only the Seattle team, but that region and even for the league because it puts them on notice. They're not going to be a team that's going to be wallowing in the bottom of the Pacific where NHL realigned the divisions where with Seattle now part of the Pacific, the Arizona Coyotes moved to the Central. That was pretty much the only logical thing to do. You couldn't move any of the other teams that are playing out West. You're not going to move Vancouver. You're not going to move the Anaheim, any of the California teams, Anaheim, LA, San Jose. You're not going to do that. You're going to keep pretty much all those teams that are out West in the West, Arizona, although they're in the Western time zone, it was the right and pretty much the only move 
In fact, you're going to have Vancouver and Seattle. That's going to be their first home game on October 23rd where the Canucks pretty much right across the river and right across the border. You would think they're going to be instant rivals because of the proximity of both cities. And as for the draft, the Sabres had the number one pick and they chose Owen Power, the defenseman, 6'6", a big guy, was ranked the number one skater, they said, for a lot of these central scouting reports. Uh, he's a guy that seemed like a no-brainer. When you have a 6'6 defenseman and it will be locked down for at least a decade, you got to draft him. Now, of course, I never watched the kid play. A couple of his other teammates followed suit where the second overall pick was Matty Beneers, who goes to Seattle. They had the number two pick. They're not going to draft number one, of course, since they're the new kid on the block, the new team. And then with the fifth overall pick, Kent Johnson also goes to to round out that top five to the Columbus Blue Jackets. The fourth pick was Luke Hughes, who is the brother of Jack Hughes, who was drafted number one by the Devils two years ago. So guess what? They're reunited because the Devils had the fourth overall pick. So you're going to have a tandem there in New Jersey with both brothers, Jack and Luke. So that's one to look out for. And speaking of keeping it in the family, in the second round, Arizona selected Josh Doan, who is the son of Coyote legend Shane Doan, who played his whole career, 20 years in the Valley. So Doan, who retired four years ago, and I believe is part of the organization, you would think, considering his longevity and being there for two decades. Now they get to draft his son. So talk about keeping it in the family. Good to see that. Who knows what type of player Josh will be. He is a second round pick, which is good. If it was anything lower, you would think he'd be more of a long shot. But we'll see if the lineage will continue in the Doan family as far as Josh, not only being part of the team, but being part of that organization If it's anything close to the 20 years, I'm sure Josh would sign up for that and then some. So, again, a lot of these drafts, people, I'm not going to get crazy about. There is one other pick that I'll talk about later on that was highly controversial. But we'll see. These draft picks, it's not like the NFL or even the NBA draft for that matter. We know baseball has gotten a little bit better over the years. Same for the NHL, but because of all the rounds and not really getting a good look at these players. I'm not watching college hockey or even junior hockey or games, teams north of the border when it comes to that. So unless you get that star, the Connor McDavid's of the world or the Sidney Crosby's, the player that has that buzz, the can't miss buzz, when you don't have that type of hype surrounding a draft, I'm not going to say it's lackluster or falls by the wayside, but it doesn't pique your interest the way it would if you had a guy of that ilk come out to be number one overall and where that player is going to go. Even last year, when Alexis Lafreniere was drafted, although he did not have a good rookie year, but for all intents and purposes, a lot of people thought that this could be one of the top players in the league in the years to come. So considering right now he's a Ranger and he's right in my backyard, I will get a full 100% look at him and his career because... I don't have to go far to watch this kid, whether live or even on TV for that matter. So I understand the hockey fan may be a little bit upset as far as, come on, Jay Reels, got to get a little bit into this draft. What's going on? I mean, you're just going to leave us with the top four picks and that's it? Or talk about Josh Doan? Listen, we know what these draft picks, we have to pan out. And until we get to training camp and until we see some of these players make the team or get called up or 
make an impact in the league, then we could say, hey, look at this guy who came out of this draft. And I get that you could say Jay Rules, but this is why we talk about it. Uh, what more can I tell you? Just like the NBA draft, I gave you those top four picks. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, can I tell you about some players after that? I can, but what they're going to do in the league, I don't know. You know, this isn't the 96 draft of the NBA where you had Allen Iverson, Marcus Camby, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Antoine Walker, Stephon Marbury, go down the list. You know, the NHL doesn't have that type of draft where you have a loaded draft, whether it's at the top end or throughout the whole draft, where you could say, wow, 20 players came out of this draft. This is the best draft ever. doesn't happen that way. The NFL and the NBA get that hype, but Major League Baseball and the NHL doesn't. So I'm sorry that I didn't add a lot more to it. I'll apologize for the hockey fan who wanted me to delve in a little bit more. But maybe next year and as we move a little bit forward, God willing, I will dive that much deeper into the NHL draft and give you a better synopsis. Obviously, the Islanders didn't have a number one pick as they traded it to the Devils. That was somewhere down in the 20s, I believe. But that's what we have there with the draft. I have to get into a couple other things before I move on when it comes to the ice. One is Colorado re-signing Kale McCarr, the young defenseman who not only has won Rookie of the Year, but was in the running for the Norris Trophy. And you figure in the years to come, he's going to bank a lot of hardware when it comes to being the top defenseman in the sport. He signed a six-year, $54 million deal. That's big because the other free agents on that team whether your name is Gabriel Landeskog, the captain of the Avalanche, as well as Brandon Saad, we know that this team had cup aspirations coming into this year, and we talked about it when they had a 2-0 series lead against Vegas, and they dominated, and then they went up in smoke. So McCarr was a guy they had to get back on the roster and not even fool around with, but what's left for Landeskog, what's left for Saad remains to be seen, so that's something I'm going to keep an eye on for you hockey fans, so I am on top of that. And what about the schedule for 2021-2022? Now you're going to have Pittsburgh play in Tampa to kick off the year on October the 12th, which is about right because the season did end a few weeks ago, I believe, what, three weeks ago this coming Wednesday. So generally they start that very first week, sometimes as early as October 1st, but they pushed it up to the 12th, understandably so. And remember, they're going to have two weeks off because of the Olympics next year, for the NHL players to represent their countries, which is going to extend the NHL season to April 29th of next year, which I believe is the longest NHL season, even with the Olympics included, in the history of the sport. I mentioned Seattle's first home game is going to be against Vancouver. The Islanders are opening up a building, but here's the problem. I understand the building isn't going to be ready, so... Their first home game is going to be against the Calgary Flames, of all teams, the week before Thanksgiving, November 20th. So they're going to have 13 games on the road to start off their season. But here's the problem. I totally understand that they have to go on the road. The building's not going to be finished, ready, etc. Okay. Is what it is. But out of those 13 games, three are only in the division. So you would think that the NHL would do the Islanders a little bit of a favor where they could play some of these road games in the Northeastern Corridor so where they'll be playing at the Garden. They do have one game at the Rock, the Prudential Center, 
throughout this stretch, but it's only one game. They're not playing in Philadelphia and they're not playing in Washington during the start of the stretch. They're not even playing in Pittsburgh, which is outside the corridor, but at least it's in the region. So all these games are going to be outside of the division other than going to Columbus and to Carolina and that game in New Jersey. So they have West Coast trips. They're going to Chicago. They're playing pretty much all over the map before they come home. Why they made the schedule that way is beyond me. Why didn't they put a few games in Philadelphia or Washington or at the Garden? It doesn't make sense. And then on top of that, in April, starting April 1st to the 15th, they have a seven-game road trip. So they have a 13-game to start and pretty much a seven-game trip to lead into the latter part of the month to close out the season. And to think, during the stretch of the 12 or the 13 games on the road, they go to Tampa on the 12th game of that trip for their first rematch since the cup semifinal. So to look at that schedule, man, I couldn't believe it. So we'll see if the Islanders get up to a slow start. You're going to know why. Because they're going to be on the road for the first five weeks of the season. And then the seven-game road trip at the end, I get they're going to have long road trips. They're going to have five-gamers or whatever. Seven? In April? And I get they had to separate it between October, November to the... I don't know. I just found that disturbing. And if you're wondering, the first rematch of the Stanley Cup Final, Tampa goes to Montreal December 7th. So I'm sure that's going to be an ESPN slash TNT game and or TNT game. So for those wondering when they were going to face off against one another, you'll have to wait till the 7th of December for that. All right, let me turn my attention to the NFL here before I wrap up with the Olympics because the NFL right now have open camps throughout the country. Some are even opening tomorrow. You had players show up early, which was good. And one player in particular is Deshaun Watson. And we know his offseason, obviously the last few months have been quiet, but with all of the civil suits regarding the 22 women that have filed these alleged assaults, sexual assaults stemming from massage visits and these masseuses who obviously have been assaulted in some way, shape, or form, again, allegedly, him reporting to texting camp on time only shows you one thing. A, he doesn't want to get fined 50000 a day. And number two, he reinforced that he wants to be traded out of the Texan organization. I mentioned a few weeks ago how with a podcast with the former teammate Kareem Jackson, how he said, I want to get out of Houston, get me to Denver any way, shape, or form. So is Denver going to be a destination for a one Deshaun Watson? Remains to be seen, but I'm going to tell you this. Not only are what the Texans asking for is a King's Ransom, they want a combination of either five draft picks and players who could play right now. So who knows if that means another quarterback? Who knows if that means an outside linebacker, a pass rusher, offensive tackle, whatever. So they're looking for some high return here for a player that has as much baggage as JFK Airport. And we know that the organization who brings this player into their organization not only are going to have to deal with the fan base, but they're also going to have to deal with the community in particular. 
And is that a headache that the organization is going to want to uphold? Because despite the fact that this kid is talented and can be a top five quarterback in the sport, but granted these aren't criminal cases, they're civil cases, it's still going to be a lot to ask for to not only give up what the Texans are asking, but to not only bring this player in, pay him, I believe, four years and $140 million, which I believe starts next year on his contract. This year, I believe he's getting paid fifteen, anywhere between 10 to $15 million. So I think his contract starts next year. So compound all that on top of what he's dealing with off the field. If I'm any team, I'm not looking to trade. There's no way I'm bringing in a guy like that. And I know he's been squeaky clean prior to this. And I understand he can't really express anything to the media, to the press, because of what's going on. I'm sure all this is being litigated at the moment, but I can't take that chance if I'm any organization in the NFL. I don't care what his ceiling is as far as his talent goes. Can't do it. Especially if I'm giving up number ones from now until the end of the decade and top players, whether it's, like I said, a backup quarterback or a guy that is a mainstay on your offensive line or defensive line, a corner, whomever that the Texans want. And I get they're going to ask for the sun, moon, and stars, but are they going to get that in return based on everything I said? Uh, I think not. So that's one thing we're going to have to keep our eye on here as training camps have begun. I'm not going to get into the Aaron Rodgers saga. I know that people are going to be wondering, is he going to report on time? Is he going to get fined? Put it this way, he's going to be under center come game one, September 12th, and that's it. He's not going to get traded. I'm sure there's going to be a back and forth. He said, they said, and we're just going to have to grin and bear it. But I don't think he's going to be traded. If he is going to get traded, he's going to get traded to an AFC team. It's going to be one of two teams. It's going to be the aforementioned Broncos or possibly the Las Vegas Raiders. Anywhere else, he's not going because they already have a quarterback in tow. Or granted, if a guy does get hurt throughout training camp, Obviously, all bets are off, but right now, he's going to stay put in Green Bay and he's going to have to deal with with it for another year, and that's it. Also, you had Fred Warner, who signed the largest deal to an NFL linebacker in the sports history, five years, $95 million. You also have a disgruntled linebacker in Chandler Jones, who wants out, unhappy with his contract, of Arizona. So speaking of pass rushers, let's see where he goes. He's 32 years old though. Not saying he's long in the tooth, but 32 is 32. You also had a big injury there for the Rams where Cam Akers ruptured his Achilles while working out. So he's going to be donezo for the year. I know they have a little bit of depth at running back there. And we'll see how those guys perform throughout preseason. But that's going to be a huge loss because even with Matthew Stafford there and you figure he's going to throw the ball all over the lot, but they're going to Needs some semblance of a running game. And Akers was a guy who provided that at, in spurts last year. The Steelers signed Melvin Ingram, which was a wise deal. Typical Steelers, a one-year deal. Kind of a show-me-and-prove-it-to-me type of contract. He's going to take over for Bud Dupree. He's already loving life in Pittsburgh. The culture, the attitude, etc. He'll bookend with T.J. Watt. So we'll see if they could perform anything close to what Bud Dupree had done over the last two years. Another guy, nine years, I believe he's 31 years old, had an injury-filled year last year. So let's see if he's going to be rejuvenated, reborn, and reinvigorated in Steel City. 
And let me get to this right now before I get to um, some sad news in the sport. With the recent COVID restrictions, especially with players not getting vaccinated, and again, I've said it time after time, it's their own right, going back to Cole Beasley in the latter part of the spring. But the memo that was sent out on Thursday, where if a team is forced to cancel a game because of an outbreak, and remember, we saw spurts of that last year with the Ravens. Remember the one time with the Broncos, they had no quarterbacks. They had to use a backup wide receiver as a quarterback. And the Ravens, remember, all those games were displaced. Even the Titans early on where the Steelers were affected. But if there is a scenario where an outbreak does become a part of a team, especially where there's unvaccinated players and they cannot field a team or even reschedule with buys, kind of what they had to do to manipulate the 2020 schedule last year. If they can't do that, they're going to have to forfeit a game. That's right. I said it. Forfeit. And in addition to the forfeit, players from both teams, and that's right, even the team that isn't playing, that hasn't been affected, will not be paid and subject to further discipline. So they are laying the hammer hard on those who decide not to get the vaccine. You would think here in the coming weeks, because as we all know, if you're going to take the two shots, it's pretty much a six-week process in order for you to be fully inoculated and then ready to go without having to wear a mask, whether that's when you're traveling in a hotel, on the plane, or at home, the workout facility, the weight room, the saunas, the hot tubs, all that. Because once you get that outbreak and it spreads, and we all know just because you had the vaccine doesn't mean you can't get the virus. That is really going to be something to watch out for and how if teams are going to have to forfeit, and remember, there's an extra game this year, 17 games, and good for the NFL. I think it's smart. I think it's wise. Last year was an anomaly. They had to do whatever it takes. So if they had to play a game on a Tuesday night or move a Thursday night game to Monday night or the Monday night game to whatever it was, then they had to do it. This year, you're going to lose your shirt and a game if your team suffers from the consequences of unvaccinated players and an outbreak throughout the course of the organization and in particular the team. So kudos to them for doing that because I don't want to see another year of a game that's supposed to be played here is going to be moved there. Oh, now we got two Monday night games. Oh, now there's a game on Tuesday. I don't want to see that. A game Wednesday afternoon where the Steelers had to play. Remember that? The Raven game, which was postponed three different times. I don't want to see that, so I'm glad the NFL had come down with that. But then the process, the Viking assistant offensive line coach, Rick Dennison, because he refused to take the vaccine, was ousted as the O-line coach because the vaccine is required for all Tier 1 staff. That also includes coaches, front office executives, equipment managers, scouts, etc. And players, as we know, they're not required to receive any COVID vaccinations, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, et cetera. And we talked about the protocols and the penalties that they'll face if there is an outbreak throughout the team. But because of these coaches and the Vikings saying that, hey, you do have the option, but because you're tier one, we have the right to terminate you. I guess that's in the protocol rule book 
as I mentioned, the tier one. So if you're a player, you could figure out why don't they cut him or whatever. Well, they can't because they're the ones performing on the field. And for those who are in the press box or standing on the sidelines or in the meeting rooms, these guys have to get vaccinated or, of course, wear masks. But I guess the Vikings took it a step further. And Dennison is out. Will he resurface somewhere else? Who knows? You would think he probably will. But that was a blow for a guy who's been around the league going back to the 90s. Knows Gary Kubiak going back to his days in Denver. Was going to be a part of this team where Clint Kubiak, his son, was the offensive coordinator in his first time shot with the Vikings. So now they got to look for, I believe they're already promoted from within who their offensive line coach is. But that was one to raise an eyebrow as a first in the NFL to have a coach be 86th due to refusing to take a vaccine and them cutting bait with the one-time offensive line coach. And then a couple of quickies. I know sad news coming from Jet Camp where the offensive assistant Greg Knapp, who was part of a bike accident in California, riding his bike, and he got hit and fell to where it was life-threatening and unfortunately succumbed on Thursday. 58 years old, nothing but glowing and beautiful things that were said about Greg Knapp, who was going to be a part of this offense to tutor the young quarterback and the number two overall pick in Zach Wilson. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Knapp family. Just a terrible tragedy, 58 years old. And what could you say? And just like I said at the top, it comes around here full circle, stay in the moment, stay in the present, enjoy it. Don't wish your time away because they are precious. And from a college football note, former Florida State coach Bobby Bowden diagnosed with a terminal medical issue. It wasn't stated by his team and a statement through his family, I should say. The condition has been undisclosed, 91 years of age. He did have COVID, recovered from it, but now it looks like These are the final days of Bobby Bowden. So thoughts, prayers going out to them. I'm not trying to say that it's uh, going to be a formality, but who knows? It's just a matter of time on whether or not Bobby Bowden will be around and obviously have to acknowledge the one-time college coach who won two titles for the Seminoles back in 93 and 99. So again, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Bowden family. And then lastly, with the Olympics, I haven't watched a nanosecond of it, people. As I said last week, if you listened, I'm not wrapped up in the Olympics, winter or summer for that matter. I know the basketball team lost to France yesterday, 83-76, behind Evan Fournier of all people. Who that guy's a free agent, by the way. And I don't think the Celtics will resign, or who knows, maybe they will. Remember, they got him in a trade right before the deadline from Orlando. But think about it. They piecemealed this team. To the point where Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday literally didn't even have a breather because they had to fly out to Japan to be a part of this team. So are you surprised that they lost? All right, maybe mildly surprised, but I'm just not wrapped up in it. I'm sorry. And the seeds were actually planted, when you think about it, during the exhibition where they lost to Nigeria of all teams. And I believe they lost to Puerto Rico before that, if I'm not mistaken, but... They haven't been lights out or been on fire since they've joined under Greg Popovich and they've been napalming their opponents into oblivion. So 
I don't look at this as a surprise. I guess it's going to be newsworthy because it's their first loss since the 2004 games because they hadn't lost in 08, in 16, and also in 2012 in between in London. But, all right, if that's going to tickle your fancy, so be it. I'm not going to get crazy about it. And then you also had this 13-year-old who became the second youngest to win a gold and, and of all sports, skateboarding. But I got to give her props. Momiji Nishaya of Japan who won the skateboarding event yesterday. I don't know what it was in particular. I don't know if there was a particular move or... Again, skateboarding is new. I'm not a skateboarder. All I know is that she won the gold at 13 years old, which was the second youngest to Marjorie Gestring of the U.S. going way back to the Berlin Games in 1936 where she won the gold in diving, a springboard diving competition. So look at that. You had what? Math off the top of my head, 85 years to have two 13-year-olds win. I believe Gestring was about 80-some-odd days older than Nishaya. So congratulations to her. But people, uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I'm not following it. If anything does come up the pike where it's newsworthy, I'm going, I'll am going. i talk about it next week and the following week in which the games will conclude. But again, I have nothing else to add to that. Uh, and that's my Olympic update for those who are wondering. So let's just turn our attention to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week actually goes to five women. Melanie Newman, Sarah Langs, Alana Rizzo, Heidi Watney, and Lauren Gardner because those five women were part of a historic broadcast on Tuesday as the MLB, a game between the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays, had an all-woman broadcast of a major sporting event. And Newman, who is the Orioles play-by-play announcer since last year, you had Sarah Langs, who was a writer for MLB.com. She was assigned as the color commentator. You also had Alana Rizzo, who was the on-field reporter of that game. And then the pre- and post-game shows were announced by Heidi Watney and Lauren Gardner. For them to have the reins for them to be in front of the mic to not only broadcast this game, but to have that on-field reporter and to be in the studio for the pre- and post-games. What more can you say? We hope to see more of it. Congratulations to those five ladies. You are my heroes of the week. And my zero of the week goes to the Montreal Canadiens for drafting Logan Mayo out of the OHL with their first pick, the 31st overall of this past 2021 NHL draft. Now, I have to give it up to the kid because he admitted that he did not want to be drafted this year because of maturity and character issues stemming from a photo that he took and circulated of a girl performing in sex act. And I would think off the top of my head it was probably oral. I don't know, but that's alleged. But for him to have the foresight to say that he hasn't earned the right to be drafted, it's a privilege to be in the NHL, and based on his behavior, hoping that he could go back to the OHL next year, play another year, get mature, get his character right, and hopefully in 2022, will have the respect from an organization and the honor to be drafted and put all this behind him. So what takes place? The Canadians go ahead and draft this kid knowing that this would be a PR disaster 
for, and I don't know how talented the kid is. He must be talented if he was picked in the first round. But I'm sure the press up there has gotten all over the organization, the front office, because why would they even think about drafting a kid who came out and warned the 32 teams to not draft him? So that could be a PR disaster if it already isn't in the making. Le Habitant, you are my zeros of the week. That'll do it. Episode 206, just about in the books. And as I always do in my housekeeping at the very end of the podcast, to please help promote the expansion and growth of the pod, as I said at the top, and I'll say it briefly now, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars. Throw me a nice review. I would greatly appreciate it because I will continue to entertain and inform you guys on everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts with a question, comment, criticism, praise, you could do so. As I said earlier, on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is Strictly Sports. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page or by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, send it to me. I'll be sure enough to follow up ASAP with you guys. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor of the J Reels Podcast, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate your contribution to the upkeep of the website, the production of this podcast, the equipment, etc., Because whether you listen for the very first time, this is your third time, 50th time, or even 206th time, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in my DNA, as I like to say, to share my thoughts, my opinions, my passion, my analysis on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. For the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.